Well, good morning. Uh, we are finishing gifts this morning, uh, but we're not done with gifts. Now's the time to plug in and start thinking about how to use your gifts. We're going to be giving you more opportunities to use your gifts. We're going to be providing you a, a list of uh, ministry opportunities here in the church in coming weeks, and, and maybe some of you are considering areas you can do ministry on your own, even outside this building as you examine this idea of your gifts. But we're going to talk about these oars one last day. And then next week, this oar becomes a fishing pole, and we're going to talk about evangelism. <laughs> but I want to talk about this a little bit this morning, because we're all, we're all called to pull on this oar and, and move us in a direction as we use our gifts for the kingdom of God, right? And when we pull on this oar, we're serving people. We're ministering to people. We're loving people. That's what we're called uh, to do. But things prevent us from doing that. Sometimes fear gets in the way, doesn't it, of us exercising our gifts. Do we have anybody here? Uh, all of us probably have something we're afraid of. For years, my big fear. Anybody here have a fear of flying? Anybody have a fear of flying? There's a couple out there. Uh, I used to be just mortified of flying. Uh, just white knuckle. Uh, terrified of flying. Uh, in a previous career, all of a sudden, they wanted me to fly once a week. And I figured I wanted to be employed and make money for my family. So I said yes and uh, was terrified every week. Uh, I mean, literally kind of beside myself terrified. Uh, but I realized early on if there were things I was going to do, I'm going to have to fly to do them. And then I went into ministry and realized if there's things I'm going to do in ministry, it involved me getting on a plane. Now, several years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Mozambique, Africa. And uh, we got to Mozambique. Now, the interesting thing about Mozambique at the time is no international carriers uh, flew in and out of Mozambique because the air rules and regulations were so loose in Mozambique that no international airlines would go in there. So we had to land in Johannesburg, South Africa, take a bus to Maputo, which is the capital of Mozambique, and then we had to get on a thing called Air Mozambique. I think it was called Air Mozambique to fly to our destination, an airline that could not fly outside of Mozambique because it wasn't certified to fly outside of Mozambique. And uh, we, we got to this airport, and uh, first off, the plane was, I think, a 727. So that'll give you an idea of how old this aircraft was. And uh, we got on the airplane, and uh, there was no, it was, it was like Southwest. Um, no assigned seating, but it was more chaosy than Southwest. We all kind of piled into the, into the airplane and, and crammed our way uh, uh, into our seats. And then uh, we were sitting on the tarmac for a while. I thought, you know, I, I need to use the restroom. Uh, we, we weren't going anywhere, so I, I got up to go use the, the lavatory, right? And um, I opened the door, and it was uh, floor-to-ceiling with luggage. Um, and I'm thinking, well, this isn't good. Uh, this, if, if they're putting luggage below and they're now putting it in the bathrooms, we may be a little overweight, right? And, uh, and then they actually brought a few extra people on the plane that didn't have seats, and they just sat in the aisle. Uh, so now for this white knuckle flyer, I am just terrified. I am just thinking this is going to be the last thing I ever do for the kingdom of God. This is the final. And I'm sitting next to the missionary that I was traveling with. His name is John Scott. 
And I'm looking at the brochure, the airline brochure. They had one, and it said Air Mozambique, and then it had something in Portuguese underneath it I couldn't read, their, their tagline, their slogan. And I said, what, is that, what does that say on there, John? And he goes, well, loosely translated, it's Air Mozambique, we're still trying. <laughs> Which, which has to be like the worst slogan for an airline ever. Fear is a funny thing. It can prevent us from doing all sorts of things. It can prevent us from exercising our gifts. Fear can, can stop us from doing even the smallest things for the Lord. And I think sometimes the enemy knows that, doesn't he? And so he makes uh, things seem more frightening than they should be. If you're using your gifts... Keep it up. Don't grow weary in doing good. If you're not, it's never too late, and it's a great time to jump in. I, I want to start, this start with this question this morning. What keeps you from using your gifts to serve God in the kingdom? What keeps you from using your gifts? I want to explore that a little bit this morning. We'll kind of finish up where we were last week, move into some, some sort of closing ideas, and, uh, and then we'll move next week to, uh, to talking about evangelism. But, but why, do we, why do we choose to pull on this oar? And what keeps us from, from, from climbing in the boat and rowing with God's people and doing ministry and serving God for his kingdom? Let me say something that's hard to say. This is not something I enjoy saying. But I believe the church in America is relatively weak compared to other parts of the world. Because Christians are not living out the purposes that God has for them. If we as God's people were just to listen and trust and obey, I believe there's nothing that we could not accomplish for him. I believe there's nothing we couldn't accomplish for him. I, I believe he desires to empower us with the gifts and graces to do everything we need to do in this life. Think about that. Out of respect for God's word, let's stand this morning. I'm going to be reading Romans 8, uh, verses 28 through 39. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Verse 31, what then shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Think about that for a second. God is, Jesus is sitting by God, interceding on our behalf. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, or demons, nor this present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. God, would we feel your love this morning, but would your love also empower us to love others? You are setting us free to minister in this world. We are more, God, than conquerors. 
Give us courage and boldness as we step out into Lewis County and around the globe to minister for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Uh, Now, fear isn't the only thing that prevents us from doing God's will. There's a lot of things, I think, that prevent us from doing God's will, right? Sometimes it's just forgetting, right? Or distraction. We're a very distracted society. Sometimes it's busyness. Sometimes we do so many good things, we miss out on doing great things. Good can actually be the enemy of great. If we're to be honest, sometimes self-centeredness can get in the way of us serving God because we've replaced our God with ourselves. We become an idol. Sometimes it's shame that can get in the way of us serving God. I want to conclude where I left off last week then move on to some final thoughts. Last week we've been, last two weeks we've been looking at this word shape. Spiritual gifts, heart, ability, and personality. We moved through those four things in the last two weeks. Today we're going to look at the final one, experience. We didn't quite get there last week. Sometimes we see our life story as a disqualifying element of us moving forward to serving God. Sometimes we look at our history and we think to ourselves, Ah, no. If they only knew. If they only knew my story. If they only knew what I was really like. If they knew what I'd done. There's no way they'd let me serve. But you know what? God knows. And let me tell you something. If you're new to us this morning, or maybe new to the Christian faith, as you look around this morning, this is a collection of people whom God has delivered, whom God has rescued, whom God has transformed and is in the business of still transforming, right? God can use you right where you're at. So the question we want to start with is, what's your story? Your story is important. Your story is valuable. All of us probably have multiple stories in our life of how God has come in and moved and interceded and challenged and changed us, right? God is always at work doing things. God wants to use you, and God is willing to use your story. He knows the most intimate details about you, and he loves you dearly. There's nothing about you that surprises God, but there's a whole lot about you that God loves. Here's a thought for a moment. What if the hiccups, what if the problems, what if the brokenness from our past our ministry? What if our failures God could actually reshape and use for powerful things to serve him? Think about that for a moment. It's kind of a cool concept, isn't it? That God can take our brokenness and do that. Over the last couple weeks, I've provided us with a biblical example of God uh, doing these different letters. And as we talk about experience, I want to talk about a character I was introduced to As a child, you may know him. He's a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. Talking, of course, of Zacchaeus, right? If you grew up in the church, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Or excuse me, uh, Luke 19, starting, yeah, verses 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. He was among the leaders of the tax collectors. And he was wealthy. 
He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came for the sinner. Isn't that good news? Because we've all been there. Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. Zacchaeus was a wealthy, wealthy man. As a chief tax collector and as a Jew, he was working for the Roman government. And the Roman government charged this Jewish man, this chief tax collector, to go out and take taxes from his fellow Jews, his brothers and sisters. And as was the practice, he would collect some, he would send the appropriate amount off to Rome, and he would pocket the rest, right? He'd keep the rest. He was a thief in the eyes of his brothers and sisters, skimming off the top. He would have been despised and hated. He would have been somebody that they spoke about in their homes with disdain and disgust. He was loathed. Because of his position, it was unlikely he was able to fellowship with other Jews. He had a lot, but he wasn't able to fellowship. It's interesting, though, that Zacchaeus does a couple things here. The first thing he does is he climbs a tree, right? Climbs up a tree. Are you struggling with your story this morning? Before looking for the approval of people, seek Jesus first. Climb the tree. Look for Jesus in your story. Zacchaeus, despite all of his problems, does something good. He looks for Jesus. And that's a starting point for him. If you're here this morning and you're going, using my gifts in the church, I don't even, I don't even know how Jesus thinks about me. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added. Look for God first. Climb the tree. But he doesn't stay up in the tree, does he? He doesn't stay up in the tree. Zacchaeus comes down from the tree. He hosts Jesus in his home. And instead of being a taker, he becomes what? A giver. And I anticipate he became known as a giver in his community. Jesus flipped the story upside down. This sinner, this thief, was turned into somebody who benefited his community. There's lots of ways our past can inform our ministry. One of the greatest things I've seen in my almost 30 years now in ministry is people who have recovered from addiction, be it alcohol or drugs or pornography, food addictions, there's, there's like gambling addictions, who God has come in and delivered from those things who then have made that a ministry to serve others to reach out and show Jesus. 
what a fact, I mean, I'm real familiar with the Celebrate Recovery model of ministry. I kind of worked in that for a number of years and the fact that our sponsors were all folks in recovery. A little bit further down the road than some of our new folks ministering them. God can take our most broken moments and turn them into something magnificent, but it doesn't need to be something, a difficult part of your history. God can use good things from your history as well. I, one of the things that I, I have this heartbeat and passion for, I was talking to somebody this morning, is foster kids. You know, we have a desperate need for foster parents in this state. It is absolutely, we have kids that are being housed in hotel rooms because we don't have foster parents for them. And I know many people over the years that that loved parenting that moved into foster. Maybe God is nudging you in that area this morning. It is a powerful thing. But these folks that just loved parenting, loved raising their own kids, when they were done, they said, you know, I'm going to raise some more and open their house school. God can use you. Climb the tree. Seek Jesus and what he would have you do. Then come down from the tree and get to work. Your story counts. Your stories are important. We all have multiple stories. Some of you know Tammy Woodard. Uh, She writes our blog. She's one of our authors of our blog. Maybe you're a writer here this morning and you're wondering how you could use your gift. We have a little blog, and we're always looking for writers. In fact, if you're interested in being a writer on our blog, uh, I guess you could probably reach out to the church office. Danielle, could they, could they reach out to you? They could reach out to Danielle at the church office. But she wrote this thing this week, and I, she'd sent it to me. I didn't ask for this. She sent it to me, and I thought, this is so good. I want to read it in church this morning. This is what Tammy says. God began to speak to me about real restoration, what it is and what it is not. God's restoration is restoring people back to their intended purpose. Restoration is being restored by our creator for the purpose he intended for us all along. 1 Peter 5.10 says, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. She goes on to say, ever shopped at a ding and dent store? We shop there because we often get a deal. Items are damaged and they sell for less money, a lesser value. Those items often are not fully functional for their intended purpose or even aesthetically pleasing to the eye. And that's why we get the deal. Damage equals lesser value. Have you ever restored anything? Maybe an antique piece of furniture or perhaps an old car? Have you ever noticed that the value of something actually increases once it's been restored? An item object becomes worn or even damaged, and then someone spends time, money, and love restoring it back to its intended purpose. When you put money into an object to restore it, you aren't investing in the object's brokenness, you're investing in its value. There's no way to restore something that hasn't been worn, broken, or damaged in some way. Check the price on a warm, damaged, broken down 1950s something car and the price of a restored 1950s something car. It's a big difference. Restoration increases value. When we have brokenness in our lives, either by abuse or bad choices or painful relationships, we often feel like damaged good. We often feel less valued or of less worth. That is a lie from the enemy. Our Heavenly Father knows our value. 
God invests in our value. God desires to restore us back to our intended purpose. God does not want to leave us in our damaged state or in our brokenness. We are his daughters and we are such of such great worth to him. Isn't that awesome? How's God restored you and how could God help you to restore others? God looks at you and he loves you. And he's working to restore you and he wants you to be involved in life, in the lives of other people, bringing restoration and hope to them. I've given you some, some space to write every week and I'm just gonna ask you four questions. I'm gonna move pretty quickly. You might wanna take these home and write them down and work on these a little bit. What's your testimony? How'd you come to know Jesus? That might be a story that somebody needs to hear. What are some positive stories from your past that have made a big impact on who you are today? Maybe you could write some of those down. Think about those. What are some negative stories from your past that have made a big impact on who you are today? God can use those things. Are there some ways you can see your stories helping you as you set out to serve in the kingdom? God knows your story. He loves your story. For many in here, your story is a story of deliverance and he wants to use it for his kingdom purposes. How cool is that? God wants to knit together the divine, miraculous, spiritual gift he gave you along with your heart, your abilities, your personality, and experience to make you a mighty instrument for his glory. So let me give you some thoughts as we close out this morning. Using your gifts starts, begins with listening to the Spirit of God, listening to the Holy Spirit. Back to Romans 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set your mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For all who, for all who led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. We need to listen to the Spirit of God. By the way, that means we have to clear space out of our life, eliminate the noise so we can hear the Spirit of God, okay? Our life, we talked earlier about busyness. We need to quiet the busyness so we can listen. By the way, there's a couple sides to listening to the Spirit. There's definitely an emotional side. When we start to work into our gifts, a lot of times there's an affirmation that comes. The Spirit's, you, you just feel like God is doing something. But there's also needs to be an intellectual element to it too. Because we all know feelings can come and go and wane. So we all need to have this intellectual decision, commitment to what we're doing. When the Spirit dwells in us and we respond in doing the work that he's set out for us, it engages both our heart and our mind. We start to see things, by the way, with God's eyes. I believe, I love that idea that we start to see the world not with our biases, not with our anger, but we start to see it with God's eyes. We gain deeper understanding. The challenge is, if, if we're to be honest, most of us have crowded the Spirit out simply with the noise of the modern world, so it's important that we quiet ourselves. You see, Spirit-fueled faith in God overcomes fear. The enemy uses our fear, doesn't he? The enemy is consistently sending this message that, nope, can't do that. You won't be able to do that. It's not gonna go well. Watch out. But the Spirit of God says, you can do this. Look back to Romans 8. Romans 8 said, we're conquerors, right? 
Actually, it said something far beyond that. I mean, conquering, it's pretty good, right? But we're more than conquerors, right? We're called to be more than conquerors. We're conquerors, the Holy Spirit can, can move those voices out. Instead of you can't do it, you know you can. Instead of thinking you're not smart enough, you're okay with the things you don't know because you're counting on the Spirit of God to show you the things you need to know. You're no longer afraid that people won't listen because you know that the Spirit of God is working out in front of you already. So he'll ensure the people that need to hear what you have to say hear what you have to say. Verse 31 of Romans say, what shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him, for all, gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? The things that God, you know, we, we talk about God wanting to graciously give us all things. These are the areas where he wants to give us all things in service to him, in ministry to him. He wants to open doors. There's a guy named E. Stanley Jones. He was considered like the Billy Graham of India back in the early 1900s. He faced a lot of challenges going into this primarily Hindu country where there was no gospel. Jones once said, I am inwardly fashioned for faith, not fear. Fear is not my native land. Faith is. I like that. Fear is not my native land. Faith is. I am so made that worry and anxiety are sand in the machinery of life. Faith is the oil. I live better by faith and confidence than by fear, doubt, and anxiety. In anxiety and worry, my being is gasping for breath. These are not my native air. But in faith and confidence, I breathe freely. These are my native air. I want to live in faith. I want to breathe faith. There are lots of things for my life I wish I'd done differently. By the way, most of us know that about ourselves. We look back over the course of, you know, I look back over the course of my 56 years and I think, boy, I regret doing that. I wish I hadn't done that. But when I look back at the things that I have done that I'm most pleased with, nearly every single one of them required me to beat down my fear required me to take a risk, to step out and do something. When I draw my last breath, I don't want it to be said of me that fear prevented me from doing God's will. Let me give you permission to use a phrase this morning. Some of you, this idea of saying, you know, you can use me, God. You're scared. Let me give you a permission to use this uh, the phrase is this, I'm experimenting with using my gifts, okay? Because remember when we're experimenting, there's no such thing as failure. Experimenting is just then just showing us one way not to do something, right? So we don't need to fear failure. And you have permission to fail, at least what you consider a failure. I don't think God will consider it a failure. If, 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 if you try something and it doesn't go your way, just say, well, it's just experimenting. You know, lighten up. So fear, we got to combat it. But how do we combat forgetfulness, distraction, consumerism, busyness, self-centeredness? How do we combat those things? 
Let me give you a thought this morning. Obligation is a, is a weak motivator, I think. Obligation is a weak motivator. But most of us will do remarkable things for love. In fact, love, I believe, is a prerequisite for the successful engagement of our gifts. We talked about 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There's a list of gifts that appear in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Sometimes we forget to connect 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the famous love chapter, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And when, when Paul's writing there, he's really talking about the fact that we can start using these gifts, but if love isn't a part of them, then it's not real. So love needs to motivate us. Church, there's a lot of folks that need love. I want us to try to do something since we're in a place this morning where we can pause for a moment and reflect and quiet ourselves. And that is this. I want us to try for a moment to have the eyes and the mind of Jesus Christ. I look at God who loved me you know, my story, I wandered from God in, a, in a, a mighty way. I just ran from him in my 20s. But you know who kept running after me? The love of God. I want to be like this Jesus who, when he looked out and saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Will you close your eyes for a second? And just as I'm, I'm reading this, I want you to kind of consider what I'm reading and kind of, kind of picture what I'm talking about in your head. I believe Jesus looks out over Lewis County and he sees homeless people and he wants to love them and see them fed by his children. He sees a little child living in an abusive home with distant parents and he wants the church to provide love and safety. He sees the businessman working to grow his business and he wants him to know that he's loved whether he makes millions or pennies or loses the whole thing. He sees a teenage girl anxiously posting selfies, exchanging sex for counterfeit acceptance, all the while wondering, am I loved? And he wants Christian women to come alongside her and embrace her and let her know she is valuable because she is made in the image of her father. He sees the man at the service station yelling angrily and wants him to know lasting peace. He sees the addict craving their next hit and he wants a church that opens the door to them before they're clean. He sees the guy in the monster truck projecting power and might, and he wants him to know that he's loved even when he feels weak and threatened. And he sees elderly people and shut-ins needing the church literally to be their hands and feet, delivering food, and driving them at the clinics. You can look up here again. Jesus loves all his people. You want to know why we pull the oar? Not to make the Centralia Community Church a bigger organization or a better organization. We pull the oar because God loves people. 
and the church is his primary instrument for reaching and serving people. And we all have a role to play. We serve a God who looks down and loves, loves, loves a broken world. There's a great little book that was written decades ago by a surgeon named Richard Seltzer. The name of the book is actually Mortal Lessons, Notes on the Art of Surgery. And in it, he tells this true story from an operating room. I stand by the bed where a young woman lies. Her face post-operative, her mouth twisted in palsy, clownish. A tiny twig of the facial nerve, the one to the muscles of her mouth has been severed. She will be thus from now on. The surgeon had followed with religious fervor the curve, of her, the curve of her flesh. I promise you that. Nevertheless, to remove the tumor in her cheek, I had to cut the little nerve. Her young husband is in the room. He stands on the opposite side of the bed, and together they seem to dwell in the evening lamplight, isolated from me, private, who are they, I ask myself, he and this wry mouth I have made, who gaze and touch each other so generously, so greedily. The young woman speaks. Will my mouth always be like this, she asks. Yes, I say, it will, because the nerve was cut. She nods and is silent. The young man smiles. I like it, he says. It's kind of cute. And all at once I know who he is. I understand and I lower my gaze. One is not bold in an encounter with God. Unmindful, he bends to kiss her crooked mouth. And I am so close. I can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate to hers, to show her the kiss still works. The God of the universe looked down at you and he conformed himself, he changed himself to fit to you. He went as far as he could to love you and he wants us to be loving, broken people the same way. Too much of the church right now is angry at broken people. We need to be a place of healing and of hope. Where do you need to serve? Where do you need to pull the oar? What is God calling you to do? Who do you have in your life this morning that, that you're just carrying a burden for? We're going to just spend some time praying now. And as the worship team leads us in song, I'd invite you, if you want to come down to the altar and pray, if God is saying you need to step out in ministry or you need to step out and reach out to this person, maybe God has been leading something on your heart and you want to go over to our prayer wall there and, and write those requests down. Our prayer team just prays over them every week. 
But let's spend some time right now lifting ourselves up, our community up, our church up as we seek to serve God.